Welcome back to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. I continue to be impressed, and this isn't self-serving, but I continue to be impressed, may sound like self-serving, by the number and variety of people that are listening to this podcast. I just want to say thank you to those of you that are listening. I've actually spoken with a couple of you today, the day that I'm recording this. I uh, spoke with a lot of people at the symposium. We're just trying to communicate what we learn, what we see, what we understand, and again, just help contractors better understand, become better, create more knowledgeable HVAC building and building performance technicians. In this episode, Eric and I review our experiences and insights from the fifth annual HVACR School Training Symposium held in Claremont, Florida in February of 2024. We'll start off by discussing the symposium's popularity, noting that it had a cap of 300 attendees from what we understood this year, which indicates such a high level of interest and also having sold out with about 300 people on the wait list. And there's a lot of engagement within the community, just tremendous time. It's like summer camp. A highlight that we mentioned is a 12-year-old attendee, Atlee D., who exemplified such passion and intelligence for the HVAC trade. And we also saw a lot of a diverse range of participants and also this potential for this young man and his talent in the industry. We'll also cover various aspects about the Sponsian, such as the focus on practical learning sessions, lots of hands-on stuff, tool and instrument selection workshops. Yay, thank you, Eric Kaiser and the integration of home performance into the HVAC business. That was a recurring theme throughout the agenda. These discussions we have underscore the event's comprehensive approach to professional development in the HVACR school, or field through the HVACR school, and others who do training that come to the event. Also, there's an emphasis on both technical and broader industry perspectives. We also touch on the importance of inclusivity, and diversity, particularly the representation of women in the trades. And there was a panel discussion on this topic, which we highlight and talk about a little bit more. Um, actually, uh, Eric's wife, Rachel, was on that panel. And this indicates an ongoing effort to address gender disparities and foster a more welcoming environment for all professionals. We saw a really terrific and vibrant dynamic community focused on education, innovation, and inclusivity within the HVACR industry, which underscores the symposium's role in advancing professional standards and encouraging new talent. I also got to take part in the launch of the Better HVAC Initiative. That's betterhvac.org, which happened at this event, and it underscores the concepts that bring us all together, that brought us all together at the symposium, as to learn continuously, do ethically, and share openly. You can still get a ticket to watch videos of all the sessions for only $26, there's a link in the show notes. But in closing, our industry owes a debt of gratitude to Brian Orr for creating this community and to his team at Kalos and his family for making it all happen at this event to the delight, the absolute delight of the participants. Okay, let's get on to the discussion and learn a little bit more about HVACR Horizons from 12-year-old prodigies to industry pioneers. Neither of us like to talk? That's what I've heard. We'll use this as the opening segment. <laughs> <laughs> then we set in awkward silence. Hey, Eric, great seeing you over the last couple of weeks in person. And last week was in person at? The HVACR Symposium. 
I'm sorry, is that the HVACR Training Symposium? Yep, they have titled that. The HVACR Training Symposium. I just refer to it as the symposium because it's like the thing. Sure. It is the thing. Okay, so that's the fifth annual one. It's been going on for five years now and continually growing and getting better. Growing maybe not so much in terms of attendees because that's actually got a cap on it. In-person attendees have been capped, I think, at 200 tickets, if I remember correctly from what Ryan told me. I heard 300 this year. They figured out a way to go up to 300. Wow. That would explain the really full classrooms, maybe. Yeah. There was also, I heard, a waiting list of 300. That wouldn't surprise me. I'm surprised it was that few. But I think after a while, people realized that their list is too long. I'm not going to join it. I bet you there's more interest, but less joined. So I did hear of a few people getting tickets off the waiting list, though. Yes, me too. One of the people got a ticket off the waiting list was Atley. Did you meet Atley? I did meet Atley, yes. He was pretty cool. How would you describe Atley? Rather young and very, very interested in the HVACR trade. Very intelligent. The amount of detail he already knew about things, but still wanted to learn and absorb. And he's 12 years old. Yeah. You spent more time with him than I did. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him. I did talk to his mother who joined him at the show for a little bit because he was local to the show, like 15 minutes away. It was an amazing thing. So the show's conference symposium held in Claremont, actually at the main office of Kalo Services, which is Brian Orr's and his family's company there. So Atlee was from the area. He knew facts and details about things. And he's super, super fan of Chris Stevens at HVACR videos. I heard that he got to meet Chris. In fact, he was sitting in one of my sessions and I watched him turn around when Chris started talking and it was like, he just had this look on his face like, I know that voice. Exactly. That was pretty neat to see. And he spent all three days there. He was there running around, meeting people, having a fun time. I think he got some books from Craig Migliaccio. I think he got some books from Eugene Silberstein, who was also in attendance. Very neat to see somebody that young, really that interested in the trade and trying to do things, trying to learn. And I hope he goes a long ways. He's got a bright future in the trade if he decides to head that direction. Made him an offer to come on this podcast. So we'll see what happens. Made the offer to his mom to come on the podcast. That would be very neat. I think the three of us from the HVAC Grapevine did a live stream there from Brian's booth, which he opened that up to people if they wanted to go in and live stream. And I think I told, said on that podcast that Brian needs to give him an apprenticeship. He needs to stick him in a truck soon, which I don't think he's quite old enough to do that legally, but he can learn a lot up until that point. But definitely pop that guy in a truck and let him go out there and learn. So speaking of live streams, so there was the walk up podcast, put a coin in the slot. You could do your own thing. What would you call that? It was just an open thing. To, it was sent out to a lot of the presenters, as I understand it. I don't know who all that was sent out to, but it was a Calendly link. And if you've not used Calendly before, it's a scheduling program. We use it, TrueTech. Bill and I use it to schedule guests for this podcast because it actually looks at both of our calendars and then tells the guests when they can schedule time with the both of us. Yeah. So we talk about business hacks here too. We do. And that to me is a really great business hack because it saves so much back and forth time. Are you busy this day? Are you busy this day? No, no. 
And I understand you can even build it into your website and things like that too. We don't have that done, but for scheduling for companies or things like that, that sounds to me like a really handy thing to have. So live streams, and before we started here, you pointed out something really interesting that I wasn't aware of, but the whole event or every educational track, and we'll talk about those in a minute, but every educational track, I think without exception, was actually video streamed live for live participants, but immediately recorded and made available to ticket holders, virtual ticket holders. Is that correct? Correct. So all of the in-person people have virtual tickets as well as anybody that buys the virtual ticket, which I think for the 2024, it was $26 for a virtual ticket. And you get access. You could have watched all three days live. You could have sat there in front of your computer and watched all three days live. But then immediately all those live streams are made available virtually. So you can go back and rewatch them. I know a lot of people that attend. There are so many great sessions all at the same time. So sometimes we have to pick one to attend and then we go back and watch the rest of them recorded later on, but they're immediately available. I've already watched a few and I'm sure I'll be watching more as I get time. And you can still purchase a virtual ticket. I believe so. Yeah. You have to go into the HVACR school website. It's HVACRschool.com. You need to sign in. So create a login, sign in, and then you can purchase a virtual ticket once you're signed in. You can follow that instruction. We also made a short link, bit.ly forward slash HVAC5, uppercase HVAC5. So bit.ly forward slash HVAC, all uppercase, and the number five. Put that together. It'll take you there right to that site. And that's available now of tremendous value. So we talked about the construct of things, but let's get into the details of some of the courses. I have the agenda, which is, I'll call it two and a half day agenda, mainly. Yeah, about two and a half days of really great topics. Well, I attended one on tool and instrument selection by Eric Kaiser. <laughs> I had to sit in the back of the room, which is fine. I've got no ego on that, but that was really crowded. Like Eric said, these sessions are done in the warehouse spaces. Chairs are set up, but they were pretty packed this year. Tell the listeners about the tool and instrument selection. What did you think? And then I'll say what I thought. I put that class together. It's That's morphed out of a couple classes that I've done at other places. And I still have a few things I want to refine on it as, as any presentation does as we go along. I refine things and change them a little bit and say, hey, what was the feedback? How could I change this up to people in the class if I talk to them? But that really came out of a personal frustration when I went to look at different tools or how that I would select a tool when I'm looking for one. And then I started digging into a little bit of the accuracy specifications on tools because the way that they're listed can be just very confusing. And sometimes there's not a lot of good information about what does that really mean. So I put that together and we'll probably do that on a live stream at some point in time on True Text channels. Yeah, we should do that. Get it on our channel. And I think it's great because it continues to evolve the topic. But I really like the last part you picked, the multimeter, specifications on a multimeter to dig into and talk about why one attribute might be more important to you than another and how to interpret usage of those attributes. It's in the weeds, but it's just like a language. You get a general understanding of interpreting specifications on products 
and then you feel more confident in using them. Yeah, and really a multimeter is probably one of the things that we pick out in the trade that has the most number of features in it, which is why I chose that one because I think if somebody can really dive into that and parse out all those features in a multimeter when they're selecting a meter, then it makes everything else a lot easier because most other things are not going to have nearly as many features as that directly in one box. So that was chosen on purpose because of its complexity. And really tool selection to me is a process or instrument selection. And I separate those two out, tools and instruments, because instruments give me feedback and then tools allow me to take that feedback and do a physical thing. And that's it's how they're separated in my brain anyhow. Some other people may do that differently. It's really a challenge sometimes because so for so long, when HVAC technicians have wanted a tool, a lot of times they'll walk into a store, wherever that may be, a physical store, and they'll say, I need a multimeter. And they get handed whatever's hanging on the wall, whatever's behind the counter, whatever's physically there in the store. And a lot of us have not gone through a selection process where we set a requirement. We set the user requirements. We say, this is the work I'm trying to do. This is how I need it done. This is the accuracy that I need to do. And that's a little bit different mindset than historically we've really had. And because of true tech now, we have a lot of different things under one roof. So it makes it a lot easier to set those user requirements and then look at a whole bunch of different options in one place. And going back to that young man, Atlee, he walked up to our table, picked up a multimeter and flipped it around in his hand and says, does this thing do capacitance? <laughs> For real. Yeah. That was awesome. I heard you had some pretty good questions from him on things on the table. Yeah. And he had some pretty good answers too. Nice. One session which I really appreciated and enjoyed was one Brian did on the first day at the end of the day called Humility and Thought Leadership. And I first thought it was humidity in thought leadership, but it totally different topic. <laughs> That's an easy way to get those two words confused if you don't look closely. Really hard to describe that. But I would encourage you to get a ticket, A, because it's so inexpensive, and to peruse through that. And if you get a chance to look at Brian's topic on humility and thought leadership, hard to describe. Just, I'll just leave it at that. Were you sitting in on that one? There are so many things going on. It's hard to. I did not at the same time when that one was going on was Alex Meany's getting your foot in BS. And if you've ever gotten your foot in BS before, you know, it can be a sticky situation. But Alex was really referring to building science. So it was a beginner's guide and intro to building science. And I wanted to go sit in on that one and see what Alex had to say. And I actually have watched most of Brian's humility and thought leadership in the recorded sessions already. And it was, it was a very, very intriguing, very thought provoking session that I really, I did enjoy. I wish I had seen it live, but that's what the recordings are for. So we can go back and listen to that stuff. Give me a couple of high points from Alex's talk on building science. I think that a lot of us think about new things in our trade or new things. And it's, okay, here's this really, really deep subject. How do I get into it? And what Alex did was basically give us baby steps to get into that. Don't just jump in feet first over your head with lead weights tied to your ankles. 
let's just pick a gradual slope and walk into it a little bit at a time. See how it's working for you. See what it can do. And then take the next step and the next step and the next step. And Alex laid out some different ways to do that in the class. So I thought it was good. Alex is an excellent presenter. He's, of course, got a lot of years of experience and does a great job simplifying topics and really distilling it down to a level that people can understand and take action with. There are a number of, say, home performance, building science, building performance topics scattered throughout the session. Rob Minnick did one, Why Home Performance and HVAC are One, with a capital O on one. Sam Myers and you, Eric, did a session on a duck ducked up situation. Tell our listeners about that. <laughs> so that was, Sam and I talked, tossed a bunch of different titles back and forth and we won. What we did was took a duct tightness tester from Retrotech and hooked it up to a sample duct system. And we were showing different ways to test different things that can happen when we change the airflow in one point in a duct system. How does it affect the rest of that? And then on one of the outlets of our sample duct system that we had, there was a 50-foot piece of flex duct connected. And I'm fairly confident that we had the world's first crowd-surfing flex duct. So we just turned this 50-foot piece of flex duct loose, and Sam had a grill on one end of it. The other end was connected up to our duct system. And we turned this loose in the crowd and just let them play with it, smash it, turn it, do all kinds of weird things. And by doing that, we could watch in real time what the airflow actually was going through that duct and see how all these different things affected airflow through the ductwork. Talk about an interactive class. Yeah. So we had four dual port blower door manometers set up simultaneously in there to be able to show the airflow through different points out of the duct, we showed the gross airflow going through the fan and then the airflow coming out of each outlet of the duct. We could block them off because Sam's setup. Retrotech has these range plugs, they call them. It's a calibrated hole. Once you have a calibrated hole and you measure the pressure across it, you know what the airflow is through it. That can be calculated. So we set up three different places outside of the fan where we could measure airflow in the system. And then we just set up a dual port manometer on each one of those to be able to display the airflow in real time. And I understand Ty Brenneman did something that had an audience involvement. Did you see that one? I did not see the whole thing. I saw the aftermath of it or the continuation of it in the parking lot. In the parking lot. lot. <laughs> yes. I think there's some videos of that on the ESCO website or on some of the ESCO social media channels if you find that. But basically, Ty was explaining electricity. And he uses all kinds of different means to visualize different topics in his classes. And he's a phenomenal educator because of that, because he brings these things into real life. He had Chris Hughes from the Energy Conservatory sitting in an office chair and three people pushing on a refrigerant scale, pushing Chris around. And Chris had his feet up and then he was dragging his feet to make resistance and I think Mike Sanfraco was one of the people pushing him. And he said later, he said, it was like a light bulb went off in his head after he saw this and after he participated in it. They had Chris sitting in the chair and they were making like people were poles of a motor. And they started out, I think, with eight poles and they went down to two. And that you could see how much faster that chair was spinning with only two poles rather than eight poles. And then Chris was dizzy and had to sit in the chair for a while very, very still. <laughs> but it was a great time. 
I think just before that, the same session was under the main tent. Yeah, Ty had the session under the main tent, and he didn't get a chance to do all of his stuff. And then it came out into the parking lot, and I'm pretty sure he pulled a bunch of people out of the various classrooms to see this and out of the tent, much to the chagrin of some of the other presenters, I believe. It became a minor spectacle. It was a minor spectacle, something like that. I think he also, he had cardboard boxes that were cubic feet of air. Yeah. And I didn't see it firsthand. So if you're going to buy the ticket and you're going to watch it, that second day, 210, it's a Ty Brenneman teaching the invisible, basically electricity, airflow, et cetera. So you get a chance to see all that. There was so many other good sessions there. You had Allison Bales doing several different presentations. NCI was there. So Dominic Garino did some sessions. Of course, Rob Minnick, you mentioned him. He's with NCI now. I did a session with David Richardson from NCI, really about digging into some of the combustion analysis basics. And we haven't actually talked about that class yet. And I think you sat in on that, didn't you? No, I didn't. It was too packed. I opened the door and there was a wall of bodies in front of me. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll have to get feedback on that from somebody else then. It was a lot of fun. Russ King was there. He was talking about friction rate, Alex Meany, of course, at John Awok. And one of the ones that I was really torn on was actually on Saturday morning. I hated to miss Roman Baugh doing a compressor teardown class. Because if you don't know Roman Baugh, he now works for Brian at Kalos. But he got a compressor cutter, which basically looks like a giant pipe cutter but it's motorized and it's designed to cut the shell apart on hermetically sealed compressors, like a scroll compressor or something like that. But it doesn't put any contaminants inside of that compressor. So once you pull it apart, it's very easy to disassemble that compressor on the inside and see where all of the contaminants from the refrigerant system ended up at. So Roman did a compressor teardown And then immediately following that was Trevor Matthews doing a session on how to properly inspect a failed compressor. And I think they used some of those from the first class into the second class. Trevor took those parts that Roman cut apart and tore down. And then Trevor walked people through on how to inspect that compressor and really diagnose what failed. And I've watched Roman and Trevor do this virtually on the internet. Both of them will show a lot of pictures and images. And that is such a valuable thing to be able to do when you have a compressor failure is pop that compressor open and actually diagnose what the failure is. Because most compressors out there on refrigerant systems, they don't fail because the compressor's bad. They fail because something else killed them or caused them to fail. It's not a natural death. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not natural deaths on most of them. If they start up and they run, Most of them are going to live a good long life if nothing else comes in there and kills them. So to be able to take a compressor apart, and even if you don't have one of the big fancy compressor cutters, cutting apart a compressor that's failed and diagnosing the why that it failed and being able to fix other problems without having to throw the compressor in and then try to troubleshoot the system and potentially harm that new compressor to me, that's huge. And it's something that has been missing and has not been done for a long time in this industry. It's using the information in front of you to figure out the problem and fix the problem before we 
kill something else. Yep. And you missed it because you were attending. I missed it because I was attending the women's panel. And so was I in the back of the room. Yes. What are some of your thoughts on that panel? I've been talking for a while here. Yeah. The women's panel was moderated by Jamie Jarvis, who I believe is HR director for Kalos. Yes. And the women on the panel were Kimberly Llewellyn from Mitsubishi, Rachel Kaiser, who identifies with what company or business? Do you have like a training company? She does have a company and it is called Wise Rat. Okay. And if people around here have heard me be referred to as Elk, and those are my initials. Well, her initials were Rat, R-A-T. Okay. <laughs> Rachel is married to Eric and had some really thoughtful things to say there. Sophie Ashley, who is with the Energy Vanguard, Allison Bell's company. And Jennifer Monzo, who's with Valeriani Heating and Air Conditioning in Maine, as well as the founder of HVA Chicks Coalition, and also a live stream host at HVAC Misfits with Ryan Hughes. Misfits of HVAC. Thank you. Misfits of HVAC. Yeah. About the panel, I thought it was a very thoughtful discussion, a very respectful audience, and a lot of good interaction. I think one of the main things I took away was be an example. Everyone can be an example about opening up the thoughts towards women in the trades. Women can be an example by taking on roles there, guiding people through it, and owner operators, technicians can be examples to welcome women into the trades. I heard the number thrown around like 2%. Maybe that was at another session, but about 2% of people in the trades are women. And that may be true more or less for HVAC. I don't know the demographics on that off the top of my head by any means. I know that it's low. I have some of my own thoughts on that based on some of the questions Rachel and I asked for our AHR session we did in 2023 on the subject. And really it came down to the reason because a lot of people ask why there's not more women in the trades. And a lot of it comes down to the women are never given the option or shown that it is an option to go into the trades at a very young age. And if we look at people today, a lot of times people are picking a career path, even in middle school, some of them even going back as far as grade school. Now, some wait until high school. Being attracted to something. They're attracted to a general. And that overlays to a career path. Yeah. They're attracted to a general type of career or something like that. And our society doesn't give women or girls the option to go into the trades generally. A lot of times it's you have to do this certain thing or you have to do that certain thing. And that then builds in women and men. And we have a specific mentality about how people should progress their career path and in what general direction. So that's a big thing to change. But yes, what you said is a lot of my takeaways is that we can all be a catalyst for change. And men as well as women can support women. One of the big things I heard up there was that women don't want to be singled out. A lot of women want to be just treated equally for their skills. One of the biggest complaints, or I guess not a complaint, but a concern that I hear a lot of owners or managers, whatever. Well, what I hear is women aren't strong enough physically. And I think that we have that same thing in men, but we don't look at it. We just put that off. I used to work with a guy that was pretty short and he literally had to get a ladder out every time to get ladders off the top of his truck. 
but he was also pretty small. So he carried around large pry bars and lifting implements because maybe he couldn't lift really big, heavy things. But nobody ever said to him, you can't be in this trade because you're short or because you're small. They just expected him to figure out different ways or they accommodated his stature. It's the same way with putting small people into tight spaces. And I think that we forget about things like that. And in terms of being singled out as you're the best at doing something or you're the best woman at doing something, I think there's an objection to that, adding that extra adjective woman. It's just, you're the best. It's just related to the activities or the skills or the perfection of what you do. And it's not related at all to making a second category or a different class. Yeah. Because I think that process of making another category is prejudicial, really. Creates another class. Yeah. Shortly right after that, you get up on the main stage and you conducted a ragtag army of individuals on the called Home Performance Panel. <laughs> ragtag army. I like that. Ragtag orchestra. What did that way? Ragtag orchest- orchestrated the ragtags. Yeah. What was the flow of that discussion? Well, that was really all about home performance and blending home performance into an HVAC company. Because as that is happening, and we've talked and seen this, especially in the residential area, there's a lot more companies that are looking outside the boxes of the HVAC. So outside the furnace, the air handler, the air conditioner, the heat pump, whatever that might be, and realizing that, okay, now we have to connect these ducts. We've got to deliver the performance that's coming out of the equipment to the space. And then going the next step and realizing that the space and the HVAC equipment or the HVAC system, including the ductwork, is connected to that space and they affect each other. They're tied to each other because of pressure differences, because of temperature differences, all kinds of reasons. And a poorly insulated or poorly sealed space is going to affect the HVAC system. And just like a poorly insulated or poorly installed, poorly sealed HVAC system is going to affect the space. And there's a lot of people starting to look at that. And that's more of down the home performance corridor where we have to start, just like we test an HVAC system. Now, a lot of people are starting to look at and test the houses. And I had four great contractors up there, Michael Hausch, Dustin Cole, Adam Muffich, and we substituted in Doug Crawl for Jenry Garcia because Jenry wasn't able to make the whole symposium. He did make a cameo appearance for one evening and spent about a half a day at the symposium. But those four people have really started to integrate that into their businesses and made strides in that and learned some about it. And they all had different perspectives, different opinions, and that I would expect that because they're all different types of businesses. But it was interesting to hear some of their challenges and hear a little bit of how they've been doing that and where they've been learning things from. Because I think that Stepping back and taking that bigger picture look at the house is really what we need to do to make our customers truly comfortable. From an HVAC perspective, we've been living with a little bit of a blinders on and assuming that everything else is just magically working. And we forget that what we do affects other things and what others do affect us. And if we don't all work together and we don't all look at the big picture, then we're not going to really provide our customers with what they expect and what we want to give them. And that was a little bit of a diatribe. We started this out saying neither one of us likes to talk much, and I feel like I'm talking a lot here. I was trying to go from memory 
on all the exhibitor booths. And we'll go like, we'll just say on Saturday, that's when there's another tranche of exhibitors show up for exhibitor day. And I got 21 off my memory. And I think there were like 25. So let's see how many you remember. Don't look at any list. It looks like you're looking at lists, man. (laughs) I see your eyes going to the side. What do you mean? That's why I have lists. I can't remember all these things. (laughs) We'll just run through. All right. So let's start in the back corner. Okay. Back in the farthest back corner. Andy Holt, Outdoor University. There was a little tent back there. There was a tent. Yes. And some scooters. Yeah. Andy Holt with Outdoor University. Should we go clockwise from there? Sure. Is this clockwise from looking above or laying on your back? Looking above. Because laying on my back is just going to be confusing. Yeah. You did that in the last podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's not repeat that. (laughs) So was it next was Retrotech there? Yep. Retrotech was right next to Andy. And then I believe Refrigeration Technologies was next. Yep. Moving around the corner. Moving around the corner there. And then next down the line would have been Navac. Right. And around the corner from that was Santa Fe dehumidifiers and Nikki Kruger. Yep. And she gave a couple of presentations, took part in things. That's some more learning you can glean. Uh, Some of the people there were doing double duty on booths as well as presenting. Yep. Let's see. Next to them would have been the Energy Conservatory or TEC. Yeah. They had a nice display there. They had one of their training prop up training modules they sell to actually do blower door tests. Yeah. For blower door training and house tightness testing training. And of course, they had the true flow grid out there as well, making measurements with that. From there would have been MeasureQuick. Yeah. And I think MeasureQuick and also TEC were sharing the training unit. Was it a heat pump furnace training unit or a heat pump electric furnace? I didn't look at it that close, to be honest with you, to know what it was. But It was a unit on wheels that could actually generate some data for MeasureQuick. So that was pretty cool. And next to them would have been ACA. That's right. ACCA was there with Wes Davis and Ed Janowak. Mm-hmm. Who was next to ACA? I don't know, but it was an eyesore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been the True Tech booth. Yeah, that was. Oh, that, that was the True Tech booth. Yeah. And in our booth, we had a special guest this year. We did. Who was very busy making presentations and talking to people and showing things off. The one and only Craig Migliaccio. Craig Mig. It's an easy way to say it. Craig Mig. There you go. AC Service Tech. Yeah. That's why I think he picked that name out because it's way easier to pronounce than his last name. <laughs> his last name. <laughs> we were next to the main entrance and right across from us, of course, was the HVAC school tent. Yes. Which they had shirts and hats and all kinds of neat things. What's the thing they stick on the Crocs? Gibbets? Gibbets, I think. Gibbets? Yeah. I had to have Brian's youngest son explain them to me. Sale explained to me what gibbets were. When when I saw them on the table, I said, what are these? He had to tell me what they were all about and then show me on his Crocs how these little things plug in, little plasticky logos and emblems plug into your Crocs. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw him sitting over there. I had to buy a shirt because if you're familiar with HVAC school, you probably heard of Bert and Bert got his face on a shirt. Yeah. What is the Bert life? Living Bert life? Bert life. Yeah. Bert life got a shirt. So now I have Bert on a shirt which I contend is better than Elf on a Shelf, but I digress. What do we have next? HVAC school. We were going around clockwise. Inficon? Inficon, yes. Makers of fine leak detection equipment. And then 
Parker Sporlin? Yep. Parker Sporlin was next to them. And right next to Parker Sporlin was Allison Bales. That's right. Allison, the energy vanguard with his book, A House Needs to Breathe or Does It? Yep. And he was sitting there selling books and autographing books. So hopefully got a lot. Yeah. And we also sell that book as well as Craig's on True Tech too. We do. Yes, that's true. Then there was the food tent and the snack tent, which they feed us, fed us good. There was breakfast there. There was snacks all day long. There was good lunches every day. They do not let anybody starve. Nope. I did a post on Facebook, responded to someone else's post in thanks of the event and just said, felt like Brian and Leilani expanded their family by several orders of magnitude just to take care of us. It was like a big family event. I don't know. Their family is pretty big. It may have only doubled it if you start looking at their broader family. Yeah, true. Yeah, if you really expand it. I'm not sure. Both of them have large families and then they connected and then now it's an even bigger family. I think Lailani told me they once seated like 60 or 80 people for Thanksgiving. And that was for one side of the family. That wasn't the blended families. <laughs> Amen. From there, was it Emerson right next to the stairs? In the corner. Yes, Emerson. Yeah. It's not Emerson now. It's Copeland. I'm sorry. Copeland. Copeland. Yep, you're right. We can't call that Emerson anymore. My apologies to all the people at Copeland. And then after, was it Fieldpiece after that? I think it was Esco. Esco, yes. I think Esco was right next to Copeland. Yep. I would have to go back and look at pictures now because there was a whole bunch of people over there and I'm getting fuzzy. I think Esco was there and I think next to them was Camorge. Yeah. Because Don Gillis was there, gave some presentation. And then I think there was somebody else and then Field. JB? Was JB in that? Yeah. Yeah, JB was there. I'm not sure if we're exactly in order, but JB was along that wall of the warehouse. And Field Peace was over there. I feel like there's somebody else I'm missing. Uniweld. Uniweld was over there. They were closer to- To Andy? Andy Holt, though, weren't they? Yeah. They were over in that corner with Andy. And boy, I'm really blanking on who else was over there. Then a few more booths were set up on Saturday, and right in front of True Tech was the PPA TEC, Pennsylvania Petroleum Association Technical Education Center. Yeah, it sounds like they have quite a nice center over there in Pennsylvania. Yeah, they do. I've known the guy like the spearhead for that is Alan Mercurio. Known him for years from back from my back rack days. Great guy. Really set something up that's really fantastic there. I believe Sourman was next to them. No, Russ King was next to them. Sourman was on the other side of Russ King with- Oh, Quick Model. Quick Model was right next to PPA Tech, and then Sourman was on the corner. On the corner. And then wrapping around behind that was- Conduit Tech. Yes. Which is a load calculation software that is working on their ACA approval. Right. And it uses uh, LiDAR from an iPad to automatically bring in dimensions. Yeah. And you've had them on here before, correct? I think you had- Yes, I have. Shelby Breger came on, her partners, Marissa Reddy. They were both there at the event showing their product. I think Fracka was supposed to be there. Yeah, they had an empty booth there, didn't they? And who was the last one that was on that backside? There was somebody else there. And my brain is just completely blanking on who the last person or the last booth was. Well, I know Chris Mohali was there from Regal Rexnord. Did they have a booth? Oh, they did have a booth somewhere. Yeah, they did. But they had a booth over in the main 
row, that was the other person we're missing back there with JB and Field Peace and Esco. Got it. And then Citron had a booth. Yep. Citron had a booth. We we said we talked to Dan Kelly there a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the backside or other side of Citron's booth was Ampli Energy. Yes. We're going to have Ampli on the podcast. We're going to record it tomorrow, I think. Yeah, I think we are recording tomorrow. No, maybe you are. Maybe today. That's why I have a calendar. That's right. <laughs> and you use Calendly. Yeah. It is later today we're recording that. Coming to you in the future. Yeah. And folks from Haven were there. Kevin, along with Donna, who is a little bit new with them. And Louise Keller was there from UEI. And geez, I can't think of them all. One thing I did want to mention, which probably should wrap up, everybody's going to get tired of listening to this, is probably already at like 1.75x speed on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up, guys. Stop talking. Hurry up. Come on. Come on. <laughs> the Better HVAC Alliance was launched, which I'm participating in, taking part in. This is something that's been kicking around for a couple of years with different people like Nate Adams, Kevin Hart, Ben Reed, Jim Bergman, many others. And Kevin and Ben and I got together near the end of the year and decided we're going to try to make something more substantial of it. So there actually is a website called betterhvac.org, and you can go ahead and take a look at that. There's a hashtag we use, BetterHVAC. It's starting to be used by various people, and even there was a presentation called Better HVAC by the Energy Conservatory at this event. And we also did one of those live streams where we talked about the launch of it there and had Adam Muffich join us, uh, Kevin, Ben, and myself. So I want to make sure you take a look at that. If you go to the website, you'll see a place to take a pledge. You can read what that's about, read the declaration of what we intend to do. There's no financial obligations involved right now. And you can also read what other people think who have taken the pledge, what they think better HVAC is, what it means to them. So we're just a foundling organization, but we feel it embraces the spirit of what HVAC school has become, which is learn continuously, do ethically, and share openly. So those three principles, we think, will help elevate others. I think of it in one way. There's so many different slices to this. I think one way might be if you talk about, we'd like to have like a forum where contractors, technicians can talk about problems they've had, problems they've solved, and problems that remain open. And we're hoping that the problems you have open may have been solved by someone else, and that open sharing can help you get to a better HVAC. Sounds like fun. Yeah, just another thing to do. So let's give everybody their time back here, and thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you got something out of it. I think we came back weary but full. I did, personally. (laughs) I was just plum tired. And part of that was because that I stayed in the animal house this year. Right. That's a whole experience. That's a thing unto itself. You've been there. If you've never stayed in the animal house, it was started by Chris Hughes a few years back. I don't know, first or second year. Anyway, when he came as a contractor and it's literally a whole bunch of contractors and there's some vendors and things that are in there. And it's, I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 25 people all get together and rent one house. And there are a lot of late nights. There are a lot of whiteboarding sessions. There are a lot of fun to be had. And I think this year, one person stayed up for 48 hours straight just because there was always something going on and he didn't want to miss out. And he may or may not regret that, but it happened. 
It's a place where you may find your tribe. <laughs> it's definitely a tribe sometimes, but a lot of fun, a lot of learning, and a lot of friends made and connections made. So, Thanks, Eric. Glad we could do this. Glad we could see you and have you involved. And again, thanks to Rachel, too, for being involved there with everything. And listeners, until next time on the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. We talked about the 5th Annual HVAC School Annual Training Symposium. If you like what you heard today not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into your favorite podcast app. I also host the ResTalk podcast where you can learn more about what's happening in the world of home energy ratings and those peripheral topics. I've got a lot of other great trade-related resources and influencers out there, and I'll, I'll run you through my typical list right now. AC Service Tech Measure Quick, HVAC Checks, Misfits of HVAC, the HVAC Grapevine, HVAC Our School, HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon, the HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVAC Our Videos, and Home Diagnosis.tv. If you have any questions about the show, want to throw us a suggestion for a topic or a guest interview, reach out to marketing at truetechtools.com, T-R-U-T-E-C-H-T-O-O-L-S.com. If we talk about things that require technical training for proper interpretation or safe execution, please be sure to use a pro if you don't have that training. But if you have that training and you're a pro, go right ahead. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. And full disclosure, I'm a co-owner of True Tech. The opinions voiced are those of my guests, my co-host, or myself, depending on who is speaking, of course. And if you're in the market for any tools or test instruments mentioned in our podcast, or just in general, take a look at what my company, truetechtools.com, offers. T-R-U-T-E-C-H-T-O-O-L-S.com. And you can use the offer code HVACBS for a nice discount. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Really hope you can share in some of the enthusiasm and community by either coming to attend this event, perhaps the sixth annual one, or at least taking a look at that link and signing up to watch some of the videos of the fifth annual symposium for only $26. Can't beat that deal with a stick. Take care.